From Calvary Church of Santa Ana, this is the Calvary Life Podcast, the show where we share stories, tell jokes, and have discussions about faith, life, and God with people from Calvary Church. Here are your hosts, Eric and Matt. Welcome to the Calvary Life Podcast. It is great to have you all listening to us. My name is Eric Wakeling here with my buddy, Matt Davis. How you doing, Matty? I'm doing great. And we are joined by Dr. Annie Ganahl, and we have a lot to talk about here today. We sure do. Can How are you doing? How are you doing, I'm Annie? I'm doing well. Excited to be here. Excellent. Good. Thank you for joining us. Um, you are a Calvary Church member, and you've been here for quite a bit. Let's just get this out of the way right off the bat. Your last name is Ganahl, and so some people have driven by Ganahl Lumber. Is that your place, and is your job just normally during the day cutting the wood out there in the world? <laughs> uh, yeah, it is my husband's family's business. There you go. And uh, I do not work for Ganahl Lumber. There you go. All right. And so your husband is Patrick, and you're also a mom. Mom to two boys, JP, 22, and Drew, who's 19. Awesome. Yeah. Well, um, you have uh, talked a lot about anxiety, and that's something that we've talked about here at Calvary. We have stuff upcoming. Um, but what was the, the beginning for you um, to have any level of interest in the topic of anxiety? Well, I suffered from anxiety most of my life as a child, as an adolescent, and into my adulthood. And um, because I suffered, um, I started doing research on it. And I started trying to find out ways that I could reduce my anxiety levels. And so over a three-year period, I did a lot of research. Is this when you're a kid still? No, this is as an adult. As an adult. Okay, okay. Um, And I just kept researching and researching and finding out more and more as much as I could. And I just started Mm. writing about that and and ultimately have tried to develop a manuscript that will be a book someday, I hope. Um, But it was all based on trying to find ways to reduce my own anxiety. Okay, that's great. And we're excited about that. And we know we did the the class called Anxiety Breaker here Mm -hmm. at Calvary. And just it's been really helpful, I know, for a lot of people. And this is... This is a, a huge issue, right? Like, what are some of the st- stats? Isn't it kind of one of these bigger issues that people deal it with? It is. It's probably the most common mental health issue. Okay. Um, there are over 400 million Americans that suffer from an anxiety disorder. So there's a lot more people who suffer from anxiety that may not have a disorder. Right. But it's... Um, How many again from a disorder? 40 million. 40 million. No, that's great. I mean, that's not great that that is, but just, wow. And women are twice as likely to have anxiety, an anxiety disorder. Um, And only a third of the people seek treatment (laughs) that have an anxiety disorder. So it really, there's such a great need out there. And it really is becoming an epidemic with uh, social media being a big part of that, I think. And how's that look? So if that's an anxiety disorder, now I know that I feel anxious at times, mm-hmm. but I probably don't feel like I have an anxiety disorder, but right. that, what does that mean? You know, or how does that, yeah. you, you cross right. the line at cer- a <laughs> certain point and like you had anxiety, but now you have an anxiety disorder. Right. I guess. Or just also, cause it feels like the help that you can do is way beyond people that technically have an anxiety Correct. disorder. Right. right. So I would say that, um, someone described it one way that I read one time. I thought it was great. A normal worrier, a person, mm-hmm. you know, the average person who worries, feels anxious, worries about 30 minutes a day. Hmm. Somebody with a disorder would worry 300 minutes a day. Oh, wow. So it's just a lot more anxiety yeah. that would create a, a disorder. And then if you, you know, we have this diagnostic manual that psychologists use, and that's, you would have to, you know, check off the criteria to determine if it's a disorder, which 
Um, you can go to my website or when the book does come out, it actually, I break down all the different anxiety disorders and, okay. um, there's a lot to go on with that. But, and you said that there's a lot of people that will, uh, that have anxiety of some form, but don't even address it. Don't do anything about it. Do you think that there are, do, is it just unaware that they even have this anxiety? Because as, as we talked and we were talking through the class and your material and all of that, that I, I know that anxiety is part of my family. I know that mm-hmm. that's something that my wife has worked through and there's different ways to go about that. But then all, as we were talking, I realized, I think I have some anxiety brewing there too, that I've never like talked to a doctor. I've never addressed. I've never really even thought mm-hmm. about to help myself read a book on it. How, how does that work? Um, what does that look like for somebody to realize, oh, I think I actually have something like this? Well, I think a lot of people, especially Christians, um, aren't aware of anxiety because they think they should be at peace, Mm -hmm. that there should be peace in my life, not anxiety. And so they may have some symptoms of anxiety, not even know that's what it is because it's kind of way out there. It's not something that Christians would experience. Um, Almost like it's sinful, right? Like That is definitely, I think a lot of people Be anxious for nothing kind of thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Jesus should give us peace. Jesus commands, do not be afraid, so we shouldn't be afraid. And then there's a lot of guilt and shame that goes along with that. And, you know, Jesus said that so many times because he knew we would struggle. Hmm. So he, and when you, when you look at different scriptures that, that talk about when he says, do not be anxious, he's very compassionate. He reaches out and touches you. He... Um, there's always compassion with that. And, um, and yet so often we just think it's something we need to have shame about and, mm-hmm. and we don't, we, we need to just learn how to take our thoughts captive and, and learn how to reduce it as much as we can. So what are some of the ways that Christians in their pursuit to try to help somebody who has anxiety, how does our helping hurt? What are some of the things we say? What are the, some of the things that we do? That are hurtful? Yeah. I would say probably the bigger ones are, um, well, Jesus said, don't be afraid, so you shouldn't. Right. Mm-hmm. Um, are you praying enough? Are mm. you in the word enough? If you're anxious, then something's wrong with your spiritual life. Yep. I think that's the worst thing we can do because um, that's not true. There are some, um, some amazing godly people who suffer from anxiety and depression, who um, are very righteous spiritual people. Mm-hmm. Um, and if you think about the scriptures, if you look up all the, the people in the Bible who suffer from anxiety, Abraham, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus, Esther, um, King David, all the disciples experienced a lot of anxiety and fear. And, and it's just part of the human nature, I mm-hmm. think, at some level. So where... Well, like, where does then anxiety come from? Why, why am I anxious as a person or why is someone anxious? Where's that? that So there's different theories. Um, Some would say there's genetic factors. Some would say learned behavior, which, you know, it's hard to tell which of those it is, right? When you're raised in a home where you have an anxious parent, for example, it could be genetic or learned or both. Um, My, I probably stress more than anything, it's our thought life. Because our thoughts are what determine our feelings and, and behaviors. And so if, that's why we talk about taking our thoughts captive. If we can take captive our thoughts and evaluate those thoughts and determine if they're healthy, then we can change those if they're not healthy. And mm. typically when you look at anxiety and the anxious thoughts that come with that, most of them are distorted. Most of them are not accurate thoughts. Right. And so that's the key is to really examine them and decide, is this really true? And is this really a healthy thought for me to have? And if it isn't, then we need to start making changes to those and renewing our minds. Okay. So is taking a thought captive then, because that's one of those expressions that's sort of 
met, it's metaphorical, right? right? And so you, it feels like that, at least the way you're describing it, if I can ask good clarifying questions and, you know, <laughs> but just to get that, I'm almost pulling that idea out, that thought that I've had out, and then I'm looking at it intentionally, right? Mm-hmm. Is that what you're saying? So I've, I have this distortion in my mind. I'm looking at it. I'm analyzing it in some way. Is that what you're saying? Then pray, yes. praying through it in some way? Or so how? to me, it would be, um, let me give you an example. Yeah. Okay, so, and I use this in the class, that um, when my son was late, my teenage son was late for curfew, my immediate thoughts were, he's been killed in a car accident. Right, right. So... Just go worst case scenario, right? Right. Catastrophe. I go to the catastrophizing. Very good, Matt. (laughs) I was paying attention. (laughs) Good job. (laughs) So what I would do is I would take that thought, this Mm -hmm. catastrophic thought, and I would examine it, Mm -hmm. evaluate it, and say, is this realistic, yeah. Every time my son is late, does it mean he's been killed in a car accident? <laughs> now, we go over to cognitive distortions, and there's several that um, we tend to use. And so you, if you know those, you can kind of look at that and say, wow, mine being catastrophizing and mag- you know, magnifying things. I jump to conclusions a lot as well. Mm-hmm. So I know that's what I tend to use. So when I examine my thoughts, I will say, you know what? I'm catastrophizing again. I know that's not good for me. I know that's not accurate. Okay. What are some other alternative thoughts I could have because my son's late? Yeah. So I've now captured the thought and brought it out here. And then I've evaluated, is this healthy? Right. And determined it isn't. Right. And then I think, okay, God calls me to renew my mind. And how, mm-hmm. do, I, how do we renew our minds? We think upon things that are praiseworthy, that are good, that are healthy. Mm-hmm. And so then I, what would be a healthy thought to replace that my son's been killed? Um, <laughs> anything. Anything, point, right? right. <laughs> Except maybe kidnapped. That Although like, I could see my, my son, yeah, oh, that means he's on a drug-induced binge <laughs> and he's on the, in the gutter somewhere. Right. Like, ah, no, but yeah. he's just so distracted you, with his friends. Yes. And that's, right? When, if right. you have a teenage child, you yeah. know that that's what happens. Right. Kids are distracted. Kids, they're phones are, you know, go out of battery there. There's all kinds of explanations. Yeah. Yeah. And so to then create alternative thoughts by just brainstorming and then kind of looking, examining those thoughts and saying, does this make more sense? Hmm. Well, of course it does. Mm -hmm. It's much more likely my son is distracted and playing with his friends than it is that he's been killed in a car accident. Yeah. And so that's how we can captivate, evaluate and renovate our Mm. thoughts. That's good. good. That is good. I think that's, and I think even just having thought about it or even listened to this or talked about it or read your book or had a little therapy or whatever that is, just to even get yourself to be a person that will think about taking that thought captive instead of just just snowballing down, you know, into destruction, right? Right. In your mind. And I think that's what (laughs) happens with people. The the more worried you are, the more anxious you are, you will let that snowball. And, And for a lot of people, when you that gets bigger and bigger, then it leads to a panic attack or, you know, something that's even more intense. Mm-hmm. So we want to what I always say, what we do repeatedly, we do automatically. Okay. So say that again. What we do repeatedly, we do automatically. That makes sense. So if we practice taking our thoughts captive mm-hmm. again and again and again, it's going to become more automatic. Even if it seems sort of silly and weird or even like if it seems silly and weird. Yeah, yeah, okay. So the more we do that, the more we're gonna catch it here instead of way out here where yeah. we're just a wreck. Yeah, it's funny, even with that that situation of you're waiting as a parent for your teenager to come home, it's it's this huge ball of anxiety because I remember being the kid, the teenager that was coming home late. <laughs> and based on certain scenario, as I drove up to the house, if my if 
the front porch light was still on, then my dad was still waiting up inside. But if the garage is open and he's sitting on the end of the car waiting for me, <laughs> then I know I'm like, You're really? Dead. I'm dead. But yeah. there was one more, like, and I might as well have been, right? But yeah. if I pull up and the garage is open and the car is gone because he went looking for oh, me. That's worse. <laughs> so then you have like this anxiety that's coming from the teenager and the anxiety of the parent. And now they see each other and boom, explosion, explosion right? Explosion, absolutely. Well, and your dad is a counselor therapist too, right? Yeah, so, I'm not sure how much and, that helped. And my mom, my mom was a therapist. So, you know, we've got like some, we are on issues with being analyzed our whole lives. So <laughs> that, that can be trauma in itself, I think. So you talk about the snowball and it's building and it's building, it's building, and it could lead to a panic attack. And I always thought anxiety means panic attack. The only way you know, like anxiety is going on is like somebody's just like, you know, they're in bed, they can't get up, they're shaking. What is that the only thing? Like, what does anxiety look like? Great question, Matt. Mm. Thanks. Um, <laughs> I would say anxiety, um, you know, if you've experienced it, you know what it feels like. It is, um, there's lots of physical symptoms. For some people, it's much more of a thought process where they're just, again, thinking of all these kind of the what ifs. For some people, it's very much a thought thing. What if, what if, what if? And they just keep going down the what ifs and they do that all day long and exhaust themselves. Yeah. Other people are much more physical mm. and they have, you know, their heart races. They have shallow breathing. Um, they will be feel shaky, like you mentioned. Yeah. Mm -hmm. um, I'd say those are the most common ones. The heart racing is, is a big one. Um, and just feels real jittery. But, and some people, they've kind of just experienced that their entire life and don't right. know anything different. And all of a sudden somebody says, I think you have some anxiety going on. Right. And all of a sudden it's like, yes. Right. And I know people that are debilitated by their anxiety, can't get up, can't hold a job. Like, is there hope? Is there, uh, obviously we, we hope for that. Right. And, and Jesus is going to be the one that brings peace, but like tangibly, um, what are some of these things that you do that you suggest? And we've done some of these even in the class, but what, what can people who are listening to this, what do they do? Well, I would say, um, we can do relaxation techniques, um, the, and you can look all of these up if, uh, since we don't have time to go over. Well, and what's them. your website though? Why don't you... Um, it is andreaganal.com. Okay. Okay, so I mean, we'll remind everybody of that. Oh, it'll be in the, in the notes. show notes, yeah. yeah. Yeah, and on that, I have the cognitive distortion list, which I think is super helpful. Okay. Um, we have the inventory, which you can actually take and, and evaluate yourself, find out what your anxiety score is. Um, and then we have a lot of other stuff on there. Okay, so relaxation. So relaxation. So can you get a massage? Is I that? think massages are awesome. Okay. And is that what you're saying when you say relaxation no. techniques? Or, okay, okay. <laughs> I think I'm like, that. Oh, sweet. Darn, I was like, I definitely am struggling with anxiety. <laughs> <laughs> not that I think. Tell it, my wife. <laughs> yeah, I think massage can be helpful. Yeah, but yeah. you want to do, that's not something you can just go to anytime you're feeling anxious. Right. So one is deep breathing. I, to me, that's the one I use every day. I think I'm using deep breathing. Anytime I'm waiting in line, anytime I just, it doesn't even have to, I don't even have to feel anxious, but just mm. rather just trying to stay calm. Um, and that's where you just take a deep breath in through your nose and hold it for a couple seconds and then out through your mouth. And you want to be aware of your breath. You want to feel the breath coming in through your nose, feel your lungs fill, and then feel the breath coming out of your mouth. And so it's a mindfulness as well. So mindful breathing is what I would call it. 
That's, um, can I interrupt here? Cause that's, yeah. I think that actually is really helpful. I actually remember a couple of years ago hearing somebody else t- telling about this, that kind of exactly that kind of breathing. And I do get the, the shallow breathing thing sometimes. Mm-hmm. And I won't even really know, I won't necessarily even feel worried or stressed about something, but I'll recognize it. And then it's almost kind of this thing of, wait, what am I worried about? You know? Mm-hmm. Uh, oh, am I? Yeah. And, and usually there is something coming up that's high pressure and mm-hmm. there's certain things in my job that are, uh, you know, sermons or being on stage in front of people or a hard decision. These things can have that kind of stress at mm-hmm. least. And, and so I've, I've used that, that exact breathing Fantastic. technique and it's, and I even just did it right now as she was talking about it. And it's actually really helpful. You feel just this sort of instant calming. Yeah, it it's can very, be interesting. Very calming. Yeah. First, I want to say you're very insightful, Eric, that you can just notice your shallow breathing and be aware of that. That's insight. And I think that is it's become automatic for you to be aware of, OK, I'm feeling something different in my body. Mm-hmm. I'm going to evaluate that and I'm yeah. going to determine what's going on. And then you're kind of nipping it in the bud. Yeah. Well, thanks. For, first of all, though, thanks for the, saying it's insightful. It started, I remember, when I first felt it. I went to the doctor because I thought like, <laughs> what's going on? Why am I breathing like this? And I like made him do like breathing, te- lung tests and all this stuff. And at the end of it, the doctor goes, Eric, I think you're just stressed. <laughs> <laughs> and I go, I hadn't even thought of that as one of the options, you know? And uh, Right. And that's, that's so yeah. true. It's kind of what we talked about earlier is that people <laughs> aren't aware. And a lot right. of people with a panic attack think they're having a heart attack. Mm-hmm. It's very common for someone that's having a panic attack to go to the emergency room thinking wow. they're having a heart attack because it feels very similar. Yeah, yeah. And it's scary. Yeah. Very scary. So anyway, but that, so the breathing techniques okay, so the helpful, breathing other techniques, relaxation. I want to say one thing about yeah. the breathing. If you look at a puppy or a baby breathe, they breathe with their bellies. Hmm. And so when you're doing deep breathing, if you can kind of think about, you actually, when you breathe with your belly more, you actually push your belly out. But none of us want our bellies to stick out. No, and that's why not everyone likes to do it. But if you're alone and no one's around, okay. because it actually is, it actually increases your lung capacity. Yeah, that makes so, sense. But it's not something you have to do it that way, but no, it's helpful. Cool. Another relaxation technique is, there's so many that are great. Meditating on God's word. I'm... <laughs> One of my favorite is just picking scriptures that speak to your heart about anxiety or for me, I do better when I meditate on verses related to peace Hmm. versus related to who I am in Christ. So the when I do the anxiety ones to me, that produces a little more anxiety. So and then you just, you know, go over the verse again and again and again, internalize it, have it become part of who you are. And and then just ask yourself questions like, what is God saying in this verse? What is he saying about himself in this verse? And what is he saying to possibly saying to me in this verse? And just, again, just taking verses and... Mm. Putting you on the spot, like a couple of them off the top of your head? That is putting me on the spot. Um, so like one, I'm thinking, like I just pulled up like Philippians 4.8. Right. Absolutely. Huge one. Whatever is true, whatever is honorable, whatever is right, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is of good repute. If there's any excellence and if anything worthy of praise dwell on these things. And the verses before that are fantastic as well. Yeah. So just talking about, you know, being not being anxious, but rather being oh, yeah, be anxious and, for nothing. Yes. But rather prayer and petition with Thanksgiving. Yeah. I think, too, even for me, probably verses about God's strength and power that I know that I'm relying on him, mm-hmm. you know, some of that kind of, at least for me, uh, for some reason, that's helpful to me yeah. to think, oh, 
my God is stronger than this thing I have happening, you know? Yeah. And I think that's where you have to, the meditating on God's word is individual. Mm-hmm. You got to pick the verses mm-hmm. that really minister to your heart. Um, and then progressive muscle relaxation, which you can get tapes on or read about where you just learn to tense your muscles and then learn, you know, then relax them and just feel the difference uh-huh. in the tension versus the relaxation. That actually works really well. Okay. Now um, there was one you did in the class. Um, where everyone got chocolate. The chocolate, the mindfulness. Can, that was my favorite one. Can we talk about that <laughs> one a, a little bit more? A lot of people tell me that was their favorite one. <laughs> That's <laughs> awesome. So mindfulness, actually research shows over and over and over again how beneficial mindfulness is. Um, mindfulness is really just being in the moment. And so we can do mindfulness doing anything. We can do it washing dishes. We can do it mowing mm. the lawn. We can do it um, eating a piece of chocolate where you're just being aware of as many senses as possible and you're in the moment of eating the chocolate, for example. You're tasting it, you're smelling it, you're feeling it on your fingers, um, and you're just experiencing it. That's and awesome. it, it, it's amazing something so simple can change your brain, but it does. Research shows it again and again. And it does reduce anxiety and stress. Hmm. And it was interesting because we, we basically handed out chocolate to everybody. And it took three minutes, right? To like, but most of it, it it's funny because we talk about like mindless eating also, right? Where you're just eating and that's mm-hmm. kind of how most of us eat all mm-hmm. the time. Or live. <laughs> Mindlessly. <laughs> I mean, really. I mean, it's Absolutely. true, right? Yeah, yeah. And so just to take that, like just you, you were talking about the sound of the, the wrapper and mm-hmm. you open it up and you smell it, you take it all in. So it, Kurt Thompson, Anatomy of the Soul, great book, book. But mm-hmm. he talks about this idea of paying attention, but not just paying attention, but paying attention to what you're paying attention to. Mm-hmm. And yep. so that's been this piece that I, we're just not very reflective. We don't really, we're more victims of causality of what's happening to us. Right. Um, and we're not really like, what just happened? What's going on? And so that, that process of what is going on. And if you apply that to our relationships, it allows us to be more present. If we learn to be mindful and being in the moment, we're going to be more present in our relationships and our conversations. And, mm-hmm. and that's where life happens. So that's where we should be a lot of the time. And yet most people, and they say, you know, anxiety comes from the past and depression, excuse me, anxiety comes from the future and depression comes from the past. Oh, right, right. And so if you're in the present, it's hard to have either depression or anxiety, you know, at that moment, feelings of depression or anxiety. That was a good one. I know. I need to just be mindful about that for a second. I know. That's really good. Anxiety is from the future. Depression is from the past. If you're in the present, you won't experience either one. I mean, for the moment, for the moment. Yeah, (laughs) exactly. That's great stuff. Um, what, uh, any other of these sort of relaxation or or these techniques to help you with, with some of these things, or those are the core? I would say those are the main ones, the progressive muscle relaxation, the meditation, mindfulness, the deep breathing. I would say those are probably the, yeah, the main ones. And as you're saying, even with, with the mindfulness and, and with all these things, it's, it does really feel like everything we've been saying is at some level boiled down to this level of intentionality, this level of taking the thoughts captive, right? Mm-hmm. It's like being conscious and aware of the things that we're thinking and that we're doing and that in so much of life we are mindless. It's so interesting that I don't know what that is in us societally, but we are very mindless as we go through each moment of our of our day. Right. Yeah. And it's interesting that you say struggle with anxiety and it is a struggle. But is there just a piece and component of this that's just kind of laziness that we're just not willing to step into some of like this? It takes work to be mindful. It takes work to address mm-hmm. and to think. And are we just a little bit like I, I don't have time to do this or I'd rather just deal with the struggle? 
You know what? I think part of it for some people, I think it totally depends on the person. Yeah, so yeah. I don't ever want to put everybody yeah. in one box. Um, I do think a lot of people, it it is a lot of work. And it's not just a lot of work, but it's a lot of work about uh, who we are, our core of who we are as people. And that's scary to look at for a lot of us because it means we have to look at the past. It means we have to look at our pain and suffering. Um, it means we may have to make changes. It, mean, it may mean that we look at something and we don't like it. Mm-hmm. And so to look at ourselves, internalize, or look at who we are can be a very frightening thing for a lot of people. So I think that's part of it. It's what we know, you know, anxiety or depression, whatever it is, it's what we know. And so we just kind of go with it. Mm-hmm. Um, and we get stuck in it. And does that feel like that's that's the opportunity then for a person to find some good help, right? To, good help to process through some of that Absolutely. stuff, right? Because yeah. that's hard for us just to do on our own. Yeah. And so for you as a doctor of clinical psychology, is that correct? Yes. Uh-huh. So, you know, I, and, and how do you... You know, there are some Christians still, even though I think this is a lot less, we see this a lot less than we used to, but some Christians that are, that think psychology is bad or something Mm -hmm. like that, you know, but how, how have you kind of wrestled through the scriptures and through even how therapy counseling can help people? Well, I start off with all truth is God's truth. Yeah, absolutely. And we know for sure that, that, that therapy and counseling and, and, and looking at, our past, looking at our, our tendencies, um, can really be helpful. Mm-hmm. And so, um, I think that exploring those things can only provide healing. Yeah, absolutely. And so I think, um, God is the author of those things, mm-hmm. is the author of our healing. And so I, I think, I, I think there's a lot of non-Christian counselors out there that are way out there and uh-huh. that that um, would not be healthy for a Christian to go to. Okay. I think there's a lot of great non-Christian counselors who are great. Right. Can be very helpful. Um, but I think God calls us to healing. Yeah. And just like we would go to the doctor to, for, if we had epilepsy to get medication or just to get whatever services we need or cancer, whatever it might be, we, we can go to a psychologist or counselor yeah. and get the help with our mental issues, mental health issues. And yeah. And I just even want to say here officially, you know, that I absolutely agree with you and we, you know, I mean, we definitely even here at Calvary have our lay counseling mm-hmm. ministry and we refer to professional therapists a lot, you know, and <laughs> like I said, even in my own upbringing of being raised by a marriage family therapist and, uh, but we, you know, we believe that that can and does integrate well with the scriptures and we don't want to just put, put Bible verses on people that are hurting and just kind of punch them in the face with a Bible verse, but kind of help them come to the scriptures, you know, as they're also experiencing their healing in in other ways. Absolutely. I think Calvary is, um, way above a lot of churches in this area. I think they're, I, I very much appreciate what Calvary provides for, people that are suffering. Okay. Thanks. What do you, what do you say to the person who is resistant though, to entering into that process of getting, sitting down and sharing some of their stuff? I know some people, we have a friend who was in a bike accident, riding his bike on a mountain, basically got run off the road and woke up a couple days later, Mm. um, and had to relearn how to walk. And there's part of him just said like, well, doesn't, he, he didn't remember the accident. He said, what good is it for me to actually go back and actually remember what happened at the actual accident. Let's just deal with what I have now Mm -hmm. and not go back. So some people are resistant to entering and because it is in a sense, opening up Pandora's box. What do you say to somebody like that, that really would benefit from that process 
to have them enter in? I would say that when you have a trauma, and, and I'm thinking this gentleman, he may not remember what happened, but as we talked about in the class, there's implicit and explicit memory. Implicit memory is what we don't actually remember, the recall it, but we have the, the physical remembrance, we have the emotional remembrance. And so at some level, his mind knows what happens, even though he may not recall it. And those emotions will come out in some form. Hmm. So they may come out in anger later. It may come out in depression or anxiety. Um, it comes out. Mm-hmm. It just is a matter of time. And so that's why I always want to encourage people to go back. And just telling our stories is a huge part of our healing process. And that's what the body of Christ can provide each other is just to go over the story again and again and have some compassion and have someone just listening um, can provide healing. And I think otherwise it's going to, it'll come out somehow. Yeah. It doesn't just go away. Yeah, the mind is fascinating, right? It like is. Th- that it can just come out that you can't remember it, but it can come out. Yeah. It's a way of, I think I've heard just with trauma, especially that your mind will, if, if you're at an age, if you're young and there was some kind of abuse or something, your mind can actually protect. Mm-hmm. And it's a way of yeah, helping you to skill. get through right. that because you're not able to handle all of right. it at that point. But the reality is it does come out later. It does. You know. And so when you see trauma in a child, um, you oftentimes will see, you know, some pretty intense issues in adolescence or adulthood. And they're not sure where it's coming from. And a lot of times it comes from something that they may not rec- recall. but. Hmm experienced. Yeah. Well, I, I think, um, our, our learning process with all of this, we, every week people will fill out the card in, mm-hmm. in the service and they they put prayer requests down and, and we print those out, uh, and, and pray over those as a, as a staff and elders in church. And we just see over and over again, week after week that there's a lot going on in our body, but there is this recurring topic of anxiety is really at the base of a lot of what's going on for our people. So when we decided, let's, let's sit down and talk about this and you facilitated a class here with us. It, it's one of the biggest things that we've ever done on a, in a midweek class. Um, and, and this journey for you has been, um, has led you to the point where you're writing a book, you're in process and there's a manuscript and all that. What is it that you hope that the book will do and bring for the community? My hope is that it will give people practical skills, hmm. things that they can do every day to try to reduce their anxiety. I think so many people are suffering. I really think that anxiety is an epidemic right now um, for young people as well as adults. And my hope is that just having a few practical skills mm-hmm. that they can apply, um, that they can learn, hopefully will help them. Um, there's a lot of, of kind of, like I said, basic skills, practical things that we can do, but there's also looking at kind of the deeper issues. And so we explore that as well. That's harder to do. Yeah. Um, and reading a book isn't necessarily going to mean that you're going to work through it. It's really something you would work through. You'll learn about it by reading the book, but hopefully you can develop maybe a relationship with someone else who's dealing with it and together can work through it. Um, so that's my hope more than anything is to get some practical tools and maybe even trigger someone enough to say, you know what, I need to go talk to a professional about this and work on some of these issues. So that would be another hope of mine. And just, and just to bring awareness of how serious the problem is. 
That's great. Well, we look forward to the day where it will be published. It'll be sold in Calvary Church's bookstore. <laughs> Absolutely. I would think, too, if there's 40 million people with an anxiety disorder, you would be rich. there's, there's got to be, though, 400 million that are kind of that feel anxious. Yeah. And, yeah. and where a book can be helped. Maybe they don't need to be you know, in therapy necessarily at this time, but man, oh, this book can just give me some tools and, yeah, and, and two, understanding. Yes. Tools. Yeah. And also just uh, some empathy. Yeah. And yeah. to say, this is normal that most people have some anxiety. It's just part of the human. It's just part of being a human. Right. Um, but to feel like, oh, this person gets it. I'm not alone. There's a lot of people out there that are suffering. And you know, any issue with mental health, we tend to be really quiet about. Uh -huh. We don't share. And I think if if the body of Christ can come together and talk about mental health issues, we would be way better off. Absolutely. We would be not only provide healing for each other, but just being able to be open and real with people is huge. Yeah. And it's a both end too. It's it's not when we say that therapy is good or this book or these techniques are going to be good for them. It's not to say that means also it's not the work of the Holy Spirit and Absolutely. it's not Jesus. Because I mean, I felt like in some times of some extreme anxiety, I've had this pretty radical, almost supernatural experience of seeing the face of Jesus smiling at me and having this deep sense of peace from that. Like, oh, while everyone else, I might feel like everyone else is judging me, the face of Jesus is smiling upon me. And that just was like a shower of peace Absolutely. washing That's over fantastic. my body, you know? And I have to say, I, I start off the book with our true healing takes place in who we are in Christ. Mm -hmm. If we can truly internalize, we are so loved. I mean, yeah. he, he knows the number of hairs on our head. That's how much he focuses on us. And to really believe that yeah. can be the very, the, the best part of our healing process. That's definitely the beginning of it all. <laughs> Amen. Well, we're looking forward to that. Um, in the meantime, we can connect with you at your website, which is once again, I www.andreaganahl.com. That's great. Well, we're so appreciative of you. We're going to go stop and uh, get some chocolate on the way home. <laughs> I'll eat it very slowly and mindfully. That's right. Well, thank you for joining us today, Dr. Annie. Thanks for This is fun. Thanks again for joining us on the Calvary Life Podcast. If you enjoyed our show this week, don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you're listening. If you want to learn more about Calvary Church or share any of your thoughts, check us out on our website at calvarylife.org or find us on one of our social media accounts. We're on Instagram at Calvary underscore church, Facebook at Calvary Church of Santa Ana, and Twitter at Calvary Life. 